0: Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Coming up, we are going to take a look around the NFC East, and I'm going to give you what I think are the five biggest moves each NFC East team has made so far this offseason. I'm going to give you uh, some thoughts about uh, some things Howie Roseman said to reporters on a conference call, specifically about what they're doing with the wide receiving core. And it looks like the draft, we knew it was going to be big for the wide receivers it looks like they're putting all their eggs in that basket as well as uh, uh, the basket that the team used last year which turned out to be the worst in the NFL so we'll get into that coming up over the next few minutes but just a reminder to check out all of the latest shows we have on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed and ask you of course to rate and review the Bleeding Green Nation podcast podcast feed and uh, give us your thoughts on everything we have going on here with the Kiston Solek show with BGN radio and all of the other fine shows that are coming your way here uh, as the Eagles are in the midst of what has been a very busy and, at times, head-scratching offseason. So, uh, again, we'll get into some of the Howie Roseman stuff here in just a few minutes. But first, let's go around the division, and let's take a look at what uh, some of the other teams have been doing since the offseason began. Uh, We'll start with the Dallas Cowboys, and the Cowboys' main goal as the offseason was getting started was to try and keep as many of their own free agents as possible. They had a slew of very talented free agents who are going to be hitting the market. Some of them left, of course. Uh, the team obviously did not sign Byron Jones. He instead signed a mega deal with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, the Cowboys also have lost defensive end Robert Quinn. He departed for the Chicago Bears. So a couple of big names have left Dallas here this offseason. They did re-sign Amari Cooper to a $100 million deal. And I think that Once the offseason got underway, it seemed as though that was the most likely scenario that, you know, the Dallas Cowboys invested those first round picks in Amari Cooper. He's been productive with them. Uh, Last year, it was kind of up and down again. The home road splits are something we talked to RJ Ochoa about from bloggingtheboys.com. That's something Amari Cooper addressed earlier this offseason. He was basically saying I wasn't targeted as much on the road as I was at home. Nevertheless, Amari Cooper is a number one wide receiver. He was the top wide receiver on the free agent market. Uh, It's unusual that a player is with a team for a couple of years, is allowed to hit the open market, and then re-signs with that team, especially for the kind of money that Amari Cooper signed for. You would have thought that Dallas would have been able to lock him up before he ever hit free agency. But at the end of the day, Amari Cooper, I think, wanted to stay in Dallas. He wanted to be a Cowboy. The Cowboys obviously know that they need him. Because without Amari Cooper, they've already lost Randall Cobb. They, their wide receiving core would have been absolutely decimated. And Dak Prescott, I'm not sure who he's throwing the football to at this point. He's, you know, Gallup, and that's about it. So uh, they had to bring Amari Cooper back, especially when you consider how much trade or draft capital they gave up to get him in the first place. Now, one hundred million dollars. It, that's a that's a big contract. A lot of that's guaranteed. And again, he's not a guy who you would consider. I don't know one of the top five wide receivers in the NFL. He's probably top ten, maybe not. Without doing without running down the list, I mean, it's it's interesting. He's being paid like one of the very best wide receivers in football, and and he is. But a lot of this comes down to you know when you become a free agent, what does the rest of your free agent class look like? And there were some other good names out there, but Amari Cooper was definitely at the top of the list. And so he re-signs with the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys absolutely had to make that happen. The Cowboys also assigned the franchise tag to Dak Prescott and they are continuing to work on a long-term deal. But man, this is starting to feel more and more like the Kirk Cousins situation of a couple of years ago with Washington where they just kept, you know, they signed him to a franchise tag, but it was clear that they didn't believe that he was the franchise quarterback. Moving forward, they didn't want to give him the big commitment in terms of dollars and years. And Dak Prescott is looking to be the highest paid quarterback in football. He's not the best quarterback in football. He's not a top five quarterback in football. Maybe again, maybe he's a top 10 quarterback and he should be paid like that. But you're going to give him more money than Carson Wentz? Really? I mean, that's what they're going to have to do. And we've talked about it on the podcast. I I don't know that the Cowboys have a choice, especially now that they've locked him up under the franchise tag for this year. I just, you know, his his price is not going to go down unless he has a bad season. And if he has a bad season, you're not going to want to sign him to a long-term deal anyway. So they are in a tricky situation, in a tricky spot here with Dak Prescott where things are setting up that this could be his last year in Dallas. Now, again, they're still talking about a long-term deal. They're still talking about a multi-year deal, and they can agree to that deal at any time. Whatever it is, they've 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 reassembled the Dak Prescott to Amari Cooper connection. It worked really, really well in 2018. It was definitely more up and down in 2019. So we'll see how the Cowboys make do uh, with Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper, and whether or not they extend Dak as well, because they've got a lot of money tied up in a lot of different players, too. There's not a ton of money to go around, but they've got to leave room, and they've they've left some room for a Dak Prescott extension. The Dallas Cowboys also signed former All-Pro defensive tackle Gerald McCoy to replace Malik Collins. Uh, Gerald McCoy has at least five sacks in eight straight seasons, so he's a disruptive pass-rushing force in the middle of the defensive line. He's going to get $20 million over three seasons. So McCoy joining the middle of the Dallas defensive line uh, to replace Malik Collins makes a lot of sense. They had to get a a force in the middle to try and disrupt things, to try and, uh, you know, attack a, an opponent's middle of the offensive line, their center and guards, and uh, getting all-pro defensive tackle Gerald McCoy to do that was a good move by Dallas. And with Byron Jones leaving, the team brought back Anthony Brown to a three-year, $15.5 million deal to be their slot corner, and also signed former Ravens and Jets cornerback Maurice Kennedy, 25 years old. Uh, He's not a household name, but he's one of those young guys who has played better than most people think, and a guy a lot of people believe could be ready to to make a leap. He was the 20th rated cornerback by Pro Football Focus last year. So the numbers on him, the analytics on him look pretty good. And it looks like the Dallas Cowboys are going to try and use those two guys, Anthony Brown and Maurice Kennedy, to replace Byron Jones in some way. It's going to be hard to replace that kind of production, uh, but that's the route that the Cowboys are going to try and make that happen. And one of the more underrated moves, USA Today called this one of the best value signings of the offseason, was that they signed safety HaHa Clinton Dix to a one-year, $4 million deal. Now, Clinton Dix has not been terribly productive these last couple years he hasn't been a great safety these last couple of years but he's still a decent player and on a one-year four million dollar deal that is certainly worth the price uh, when you're when you're bringing him in i would have liked to have seen the eagles maybe go out and bring in haha clinton Dix on a one-year four million dollar deal but the dallas cowboys went and snapped him up and so he's going to be in their defensive backfield so the cowboys defensive backfield is going to look a little bit different In 2020 and moving forward with Anthony Brown and Maurice Kennedy back there and HaHa Clinton Dix coming aboard three new additions uh, to the Dallas Cowboys. I know I gave you six moves there, but I kind of combined the Anthony Brown and Maurice Kennedy move because they were replacing Byron Jones with a a couple different players there. So those are the five moves for the Dallas Cowboys that I think are the most impactful. Amari Cooper, Dak Prescott, Gerald McCoy, uh, the combination of Anthony Brown and Maurice Kennedy and bringing aboard HaHa Clinton Dix. All right, moving along to the Washington Redskins. And the team lost cornerback Quinton Dunbar. Uh, they traded him away for a fifth-round draft pick uh, this coming offseason. So not not a great value uh, when in terms of getting rid of Quinton Dunbar. But uh, Dunbar uh, had said he didn't want to be with the team. He wanted to be traded. And so uh, Washington made that happen. The, the most impactful move that Washington has made so far this offseason is keeping one of their own. Uh, they placed the franchise tag on offensive guard Brandon Scherf, who's one of the best in the business. Everybody saw this move coming. This is something Washington absolutely had to do, given the fact that uh, they are going to be losing Trent Williams. Trent Williams is not going to come back with the team. Uh, They're trying to trade Trent Williams right now, but the latest is that they appear to be holding out for a second round pick, or at least a combination of picks that equate to second round value they are saying they're not just going to give him away and want that second round value for the pit for uh, for Williams uh and Williams wants to be paid like one of the top linemen in the game um despite missing all of last year in a dispute with the team and despite the fact he's getting a little bit older so this is not an easy needle to thread you've got to find it you've got to find a team that's willing to give up a second round pick and a team that's willing to pay Williams what he wants. And the team is uh Williams the team has given Williams permission to seek a trade, and that's what he and his agent are doing. And there's a lot of accusations going back and forth between the two. Williams is complaining that the team is holding up the deal because they want too much. And Washington is saying, We don't want too much. We want second round value for him, but you know, we're not going to just give him away. And I think second round value is appropriate. If, if that's indeed what Washington is looking for and they're going to trade Trent Williams, they should get a second round pick for him or at least a, a combination of picks that would or a, or a combination of picks and a player that would equate second round value. Uh, so that Trent Williams situation continues to be a thorn in the side of the Washington Redskins. The number two move that the Washington Redskins made this offseason that I think is impactful is they signed Kendall Fuller who they initially had and traded away to Kansas City in the Alex Smith trade. They brought Kendall Fuller back on a four-year, $40 million deal, and he's going to play cornerback and will play a little free safety, depending on the type of defense the team is in at the time. Ron Rivera, of course, uh, the team's new head coach, has been focusing on the defense here so far this offseason. Uh, Kendall Fuller is a nice player. It's not a huge deal. It's not a huge contract. Uh, he provides them a lot of flexibility. He's a guy who, again, can go back and forth between cornerback and free safety. He's not an elite player. He's not an elite cornerback uh, like a Byron Jones or anything like that, but he's a solid player, and the team obviously has wanted to— they didn't obviously never want to give him away in the Alex Smith trade and now had the opportunity to bring him back into the fold, and he is back in Washington. Uh, impact move number three, Washington signed Falcons guard Wes, Wes Schweitzer to a three-year, $13.5 million deal. And this is part of the team's uh, attempts to tr- to replace Eric Flowers along the offensive line. Uh, Schweitzer has started 36 games since being drafted for Atlanta. He played mostly at left guard last year, but also played plenty of right guard. He graded out slightly better on the left side of the offensive line. He's he's not a star, he's not a stud, but he's a solid player, kind of a, a middle-of-the-pack player. Uh, so he's a guy that, the, that Washington is hoping gives them uh, some uh, some depth along the offensive line, a little bit of versatility along the offensive line. And uh, he'll probably be in the starting lineup when you sign a guy to a three year, 13.5 million dollar deal. You expect him to be uh, your starting left guard or right guard in 2020. The team also signed running back J.D. McKissick to a two year, 3.25 million dollar deal. And McKissick is I mean, I, the, the Washington has uh, Adrian Peterson, who they plan to bring back again next year. And they're also expecting to get Darius Geis back. And hopefully that kid can stay healthy because he's got a lot of talent. His problem has been staying on the field. So J.D. McKissick uh, was with the Lions last year. He's mostly going to be the the speedy pass catcher out of the backfield. So that's this means that and we all knew that uh, Chris Thompson was going to be leaving the team in free agency. They're bringing him aboard to... Uh, basically, give the team that dynamic on offense. Uh, that guy out of the backfield who can catch a screen pass, catch a swing pass, who can who can uh, run run the wheel route and and and, and uh, pick up a big gain for you. J.D. McKissick um, coming to Washington on a two-year, three point two five million dollar deal and then the last move uh, by Washington and they've made other moves these, again this is the fi- these are the five most impactful moves the fifth most impactful move that I see from Washington so far this offseason is signing offensive tackle Cornelius Lucas to a two-year 5.3 million dollar deal this is a swing tackle who played for the Bears last year again Washington looking like uh, they're going after guys on the offensive line who can play a couple different positions, who can be flexible. They're not star players. They're not studs. Uh, they're not guys who are going to make the, uh, the Pro Bowl or anything like that. But uh, they're looking for, for competency along the offensive line and a little bit of flexibil- flexibility and versatility. And so that's what you get uh, when you bring aboard Cornelius Lucas and, and, and Wes Schweitzer. And, of course, you re-sign Brandon Scherf to the franchise tag. So they have focused on the offensive line a lot here. Uh, so far this offseason. Now, what they need is they need to continue to go out and they need to to try and uh, find some other pieces uh, to bring aboard. Uh, They've lost their backup quarterback, Colt McCoy, um, who went to the uh, New York Giants uh, this offseason. And the Giants are the team that we are going to take on next. The Giants had a ton of cap space when the offseason started here. $80 million. I'll say that again. $80 million in cap space for the New York Giants, Uh, so they figured to be big spenders, and they have also spent most of that money on defense here so far this offseason. They franchise tag defensive tackle Leonard Williams, and this is the first time the Giants have used the tag since Jason Pierre-Paul back in 2015, and uh, the team is still working on negotiating a long-term deal with their stud defensive tackle, but obviously bringing him back was was a no-brainer for the Giants, even on uh, e- even on the franchise tag. So Leonard Williams will be back in the fold for New York here in 2020. Uh, they were heavy on Byron Jones as well as the Eagles were. It was uh, Most people thought that at the beginning of the offseason that uh, the Giants or Eagles would be the landing spot for Byron Jones because the Giants need cornerback help in the worst way, uh, maybe even in a worse way than the Eagles do. They did not get Byron Jones, and so they went out and made another big move at cornerback and signed James Bradbury to a three-year, $43.5 million deal. That is that is a lot of money. Um, most believed Bradbury was the second-best cornerback on the market after Byron Jones. Uh, Bradbury is a great cover guy can stick with your best wide receiver. He's a guy who can uh, really shut down. I mean, he he did great against uh, Mike Evans last year when he played him twice, holding him holding him down. He's a guy who can take on your number one wide receiver and do a, uh, a pretty darn good job shutting that guy down. He's not a very good tackler, but that's not what you pay him for. That's not what you pay a cover corner for anyway. Uh, so Bradbury is going to be that guy on the outside that, allows you to not have to worry about that side of the field most of the time uh, and uh, will we'll take on your team's number one wide receiver and 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 just like the Eagles got with Darius Slay hopefully shut that guy down for the entirety of the game it's a it's a big free agent move by the Giants to lock in James Bradbury to a three-year 43.5 million dollar deal another big move the team made was at middle linebacker signing former Green Bay Packer Blake Martinez to a three-year, $30.75 million deal. Uh, Blake Martinez, just 26 years old. He had 155 total tackles in 2019. That was second most in the NFL, and he's been a tackle machine throughout his NFL career. This is a guy who excels in the run game, in the middle of the defense. Uh, he's a guy who can also blitz very well. He's not good in pass coverage. Uh, he's a he's a pretty awful cover linebacker. Uh, if you send your running back or your tight end at him, He's not going to be able to stay with them. Um, so what you're getting here in Blake Martinez is a downhill defender in the middle, but he's a smart player. He's a guy who can quarterback your defense and he should help with the run game and blitz packages for New York type of guy um, that you, you can, you know, build around essentially because because he is young. I mean, just just 26 years old. He's a guy who is extremely athletic, tough physical player, has been very productive for Green Bay. Uh, over the last few years, and of course, just uh, just just gets a just gets a slew of tackles year after year after year. So, I, I like that move by by New York. It brings them a little bit of toughness in the middle of the defense. They signed edge rusher Kyler Fackrell to a one-year four point six million dollar deal, and this is an interesting signing as well. He was not very productive last year with Green Bay. He didn't play very much. the The Green Bay Packers went out and made a couple of off season signings going into last season, and Fackerel kind of got pushed off to the side, and the, the, the Giants are hoping that he can recapture a little bit of the mojo he had back in 2018 when he had 10.5 sacks for the Packers. Uh, now, there's a link here. New Giants defensive coordinator Patrick Graham was Green Bay's linebacker coach in 2018, the season in which Fackerel had his career year. So they're hoping, combining Patrick Graham Uh, bringing Fackrell aboard with Graham again on defense could basically uh, that the Giants could get another Marcus Golden type situation uh, where you brought a guy in on the cheap, a guy who has flashed in the past. Uh, You bring him together with a former coach who he obviously did very well uh, playing for and maybe you get another... You get another Marcus Golden type season where you get a double digit sack season out of nowhere from a guy um, who you didn't have to pay a lot of money to. So I like this as a value signing by the Giants. I really like what the Giants have done this offseason. They, they've made some very smart, wise investments here. And I, I really like the Kyler Fackerel addition on a one year, four four point six million dollar deal on a one year deal of that of that money. There's really no downside at all. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You're out four and a half million dollars, if that. You know, it depends on what the, you know, what the guaranteed money is. But uh, as a guy, you know, if we hear from Kyler Fackrell, the, the Giants last year did a good job finding Marcus Golden. And now if they're thinking if they can, you know, bring Kyler Fackrell back underneath defensive coordinator Patrick Graham, maybe you get another season like he had in 2018. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the moves the Giants have made this off season have been pretty small. I thought the most impactful of the other ones was uh, signing offensive tackle Cam Fleming who will battle Nick Gates for the starting right tackle job. But he can play anywhere along the line. He's kind of like a lesser Halapulavati Vitae. Now, many of you may be chuckling when you hear that, but Vitae was a very valuable guy, and he obviously was valuable to the Detroit Lions, who signed him to a big money deal. Cam Fleming did not get anywhere close to that kind of money with the New York Giants. So obviously, you know, not seen, not seen as uh, not as sought after as a guy like Vitae was. So, um, But a guy like Cam Fleming, he's a guy who can provide a lot of depth along the offensive line he's gonna he's gonna vie for a starting job and if the Giants decide to go out and invest in offensive tackle early in the draft then Fleming will basically be your first backup at a number of different positions and those are valuable guys you need guys like that in order to succeed we saw that in 2017 with Vitae in the Eagles when Jason Peters went down but over the years he's had to fill in on a lot of different roles and do a lot of different things and so that was I thought a pretty impactful move that the Giants made also here this offseason. So that's your roundup of what the the three NFC East teams have done so far this offseason. And uh, hopefully next week uh, we'll be able to get back into our our interviews and um, we'll talk to to somebody about the New York Giants and uh, get a little bit more insight on what they've been doing here so far in free agency. Because I really like what the Giants are doing. Giants are a team, man, that could be sneaky next year. We know that the offense was starting to take off at the end of last season. They had some really good games. It looked like Daniel Jones was finding himself. He's got some weapons out there if the defense is going to catch up. This might be a team that could be like an 8 and 8 team, a 7 and 9, 8 and 8, maybe even a 9 and 7 team next year. Uh it really depends also on what they do in the draft, but the Giants are getting better, man. The Giants are getting the Giants are improving faster than Washington is improving at the moment. And so we'll follow up a little bit more on them next week as well. We'll take a quick break when we come back, I'll give you my thoughts on A news conference, a teleconference that Howie Roseman held with reporters yesterday, and some of the interesting things that he had to say. We'll do that next here on Eye on the Enemy. And we're back with Eye on the Enemy. So, Howie Roseman held a teleconference, you know, with social distancing and all that, with Eagles beat reporters. And I gotta say, so far this offseason, I do not understand the the thought process behind so much of what the Eagles have done. I just feel like the Eagles had a plan coming into the offseason, and. The plan didn't go according to the way they thought it was going to go. I really feel like the team was targeting Byron Jones early in the offseason, and when they didn't get them, had to pivot to plan B, and that kind of messed a lot of other things up. I think the team did not go after wide receiver aggressively early enough in the offseason because they thought they were all going to cost too much money and they wouldn't have enough money after getting Byron Jones, and then things Kind of, when when Byron Jones signed with the Dolphins, it feels to me like things went kind of haywire. Because here, as we sit and the free agency period, most of the the top free agents are off the marketing, especially at wide receiver. The Eagles have decided to completely let the wide receiver market go by them. All the top guys are gone. DeAndre Hopkins, who they could have they could have tried to acquire in a trade, is gone. Amari Cooper. Gone. Emmanuel Sanders, gone. Robbie Anderson, gone. Brashad Perryman, who I really liked, gone. Uh, and Anderson and Perryman's deals were not that expensive either. I had a number of people on Twitter yelling at me for being upset about Perryman and, uh, and, and Anderson. And look, these guys were signed on one and two year deals for not a ton of money. I mean, it's really not a ton of money. Now, I know the Eagles don't have a lot of cap space, but they really needed to sign a free agent wide receiver here this offseason. And I know Perryman doesn't have a long track record of success, but he's never really had a good quarterback throwing him the ball. And when he's gotten the chance to be an outside X receiver, when he got that chance last year for Tampa, he was really good over the last month of the season. And so, yeah, I'm I'm all for investing money in a in a wide receiver who maybe is coming into his own a little bit. And we'll see what he does with the New York Jets. I mean, I know that that's going to be, uh, you know, I know that that's get, you know going to be watched closely, but. I I would have given Perryman the type of deal. You get a one year deal. I mean, wh- what are we talking about here? You're not you're not investing the future in in Brashad Perryman on a one year deal. I just don't know how the Eagles weren't in on that. I don't know how the Eagles weren't in on Robbie Anderson. Um, part of it might be that the team really does believe in the receivers they already have. And Roseman essentially said as much talking to reporters. He said they value the wide receivers in their wide receiver room more than the outside world does. Well, obviously. I also think you know it certainly sounded from his phone call like it appears the team misread the wide receiver market. You know he's, he's he explained that they you know they have all this information now and that hindsight is twenty twenty, and that the value and the price of some of these guys changed a lot during the offseason. Well, I mean, but how do you not stay up on that if the value is changing? How 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 are you not keeping tabs on that and, and and seeing the value changing? Aren't you? I mean, if you're if you're in the process the whole way. And if you're going along with the process the whole way, do you not know that the price is changing? Are you not being kept aware of the fact that the price is changing? It's it almost sounds like they checked in on these guys at the start of the offseason, heard the price, and said, no, that's not for us, and just decided to move on and do other things. Maybe that's the wise maybe that's gonna end up being the wise choice. But I really don't get it. I felt like this team needed to add a wide receiver in the draft, and they needed to add a wide receiver in free agency. And they're not going to, you know, and if they add a wide receiver now in free agency, it's not going to be an impressive player. It's not going to be one of the speed guys that were available. Roseman said that uh, they didn't get a chance to make a better offer for DeAndre Hopkins than the one that eventually landed the stud receiver uh, in Arizona because Arizona's draft picks were better than the Eagles draft picks. So Houston just decided to go ahead and do that deal that there was no deal the Eagles could make other than giving up a first round pick, which they weren't going to do for DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, and, and just decided to pull the trigger with, with Arizona. The thing that maybe concerns me most is that Roseman said the team is excited about the guys who are returning from injury, such as Alshon and Deshaun, and are excited about the young guys making the leap, talking about J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Now, here's the thing with J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. I know that he wasn't good last year. He was a disaster last year, and Howie Roseman said he had been battling with a lower body injury the entire season since the start of training camp whatever maybe he was whatever then you know then you set him down or you you figure out something else to do with him why is he playing so darn much i mean i know you have, you had injuries but then you use your practice squad guys which again they should have done earlier in the season anyway they invested a second round pick in artega whiteside last year if you ever want to get any kind of value recouped from that second round pick i guess you've got to try and work him into the into the rotation this year you've got to try and find a way to use him this year in a way that works and makes sense. Otherwise, you've just completely thrown away a second-round draft pick after one season. Like, I get it. I don't like trusting J.J. Ortega Whiteside to bounce back because I'm not sure he can. I'm not sure he's got the skills. Very few wide receivers, as BLG has noted, have had the type of rookie season that J.J. had last year and have come back to be a productive player. So they are really optimistic on him Making a big improvement improvement from year one to year two. We'll see if that happens. The other thing with the injury to Alshon, we were all assuming that the team was going to get rid of Alshon because of the perceived locker room issues that were going on with Alshon Jeffrey, the Josina Anderson thing. It does not sound like this team is moving on from Alshon Jeffrey this off season. It does not sound like that they are going to be getting rid of Alshon Jeffrey this off season. So I just don't understand what on earth makes Roseman think any of these things are going to happen—that Alshon's going to come back from injury and be good again all of a sudden, and that JJ Arthega Whiteside—they're hoping that he makes the leap. I just don't know that you can go into the 2020 season with that as the plan. You can hope that it works, but how do you go into the season with that as the plan? And Roseman referred to Alshon Jeffrey as "quote the elephant in the room," and explained that Jeffrey knows what's being said about him knows that he needs to get healthy and that he's eager to come back stronger. Well, I hope he's also eager to—we don't—I'm going to uh, we don't, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold off on, on, on what I was just going to say. There. We don't—aside from Howard Eskin's reporting, which I don't have any reason to doubt, we don't know that Alshon Jeffrey was the problem in the locker room last year. We just don't. But he didn't look like a good player last year. I'm sorry. He didn't—he he was not the number one receiver that he used to be. He, that, that play in Minnesota where he just drifts out of bounds like an 18-wheeler that's being pushed off the side of the road by a heavy wind drove me absolutely crazy. Drops last year, and inability to stay on the field. The team got better when he wasn't on the field last season, which is not, which has not been the case throughout his Eagles career. Alshon Jeffrey, when healthy, has been a very productive player. Can he come back from injury? He's getting older. He's, he's, his cap number is so big next year. That m- probably is the biggest reason why Howie Roseman is deciding to hold on to him. And, you know, hey, listen, maybe a trade still happens, but I doubt it. Doesn't look like it at this point. But maybe there's a, a wide receiver starved team that's looking for a, a big target that they can throw the football to. That's what they're going to get. But the, I, I think the trade aspect is out the window, and it sure doesn't sound like the team is going to release Alshon Jeffrey, especially after they let the free agent wide receiver market go by. So this has me very nervous. I'm not at all happy with the team's plan at wide receiver. I think, once again, they are overvaluing – their own players. And I just can't believe they're not, they're going to bring Alshon Jeffrey back. I really can't. I cannot believe they're going to bring Alshon Jeffrey back, but it certainly looks like that's the road we are headed down. I think it's a mistake to bring Alshon Jeffrey back. I think, I think the team played better when he wasn't in there. His body language last year was awful. His attitude last year appeared to be less than stellar. If you want to make that Carson Wentz's locker room, I'm not sure if Alshon Jeffrey was the the leaker was the guy who was talking to Josina Anderson. I don't know how keeping him around makes makes that Carson Wentz's locker room. It's going to be a very interesting situation. I think the team made a big mistake not going out and getting somebody like Robbie Anderson or Brashad Perryman and moving on from Alshon Jeffrey. I think it's also pretty clear now the team is going to spend their first-round pick on a speed receiver, which they still desperately need. That was the most important thing to get this offseason, was a speed receiver, and they have to do it in the draft now. If you want someone that's more of a sure thing, I think now they maybe have to move up in the draft to go get a stud wide receiver, a stud speed wide receiver that you that you feel can be a starter for you right from the start of the season. Not a guy you're going to develop, not a guy that you hope can work his way into the starting lineup at some point late in the season. I think you need to go get a stud. And I don't know how much capital you have to give up to in order to move up. I mean, hopefully they only have to move up three or four spots to get a guy like that. A lot of the teams that needed wide receivers... Uh, and thought you thought we're going to spend a first-round pick on them, went out into free agency and got a wide receiver. So just like the Cardinals with DeAndre Hopkins, so he's probably not, they're probably not going to go get a wide receiver in the first round. Some of those moves help the Eagles out a little bit. So I'm much more open to them trading up, however, and getting the guy they want. If that's Jerry Judy, or I mean, I mean, Ceedee Lamb is probably going to be uh, way way gone by the time the Eagles are even anywhere close to drafting. Uh, but also talking about guys like. Um, Henry Ruggs, or you know, one of one of those speed receivers that the the team desperately, desperately needs, uh, in in order to make this offense go next season. Um, we're also not sure really what the defensive backfield is going to look like next year. We know that Darius Slay will cover the team's number one wide receiver, but Howie Roseman talked about what the rest of the defensive backfield is going to look like, and he indicated the team's going to play more man-to-man next year, which makes a lot of sense given uh, the fact that you have Slay and you can move him and. Have him jump around the field, covering the team's number one wide receiver. The other team's number one wide receiver looks like Avante Maddox is going to be the number two corner, according to Roseman. He said he's happy with Maddox as the number two corner, uh, playing on the outside, despite the fact that Maddox is a little undersized. Uh, he didn't deny the trade rumors out there that they are looking to move Rasul Douglas. Um, some rumors have been going around about him going to a couple different places, but I think it's more likely the team will just cut him at some point here this off Rasul is a nice player. He's a nice little player, but. He's probably going to make like $2 million this year. And for a guy who is not going to be your number three cornerback or maybe even your number four cornerback, it's just no spot on the roster for him at this point. So the team's trying to find a trade partner for him, but more than likely, Rasul will just get released at some point in the near future. All of these moves is a big boost to Sidney Jones, who had made some nice plays at the end of last year. Uh, Roseman is excited about him being able to spend the offseason just working on football working on getting his body ready for football and not rehabbing injuries or getting over different injuries. And he he continues to say, and again, Sidney Jones is a former second-round pick, which is why I don't think they're going to give up on J.J. Ortega-Whiteside anytime soon. Sidney Jones and J.J. And are very similar type guys. Second-round picks you invested a lot in, you had a lot of hope in, and they are really sticking with Sidney Jones. And they believe, Hope Roseman said, that he has the skill set when he's healthy, and now he, quote, just has to go prove it. Well, yeah, that's all part of it. You gotta, you gotta show that you can play for sure. And, and Sidney Jones hasn't proven that he can play. My guess is he starts the season as the number four cornerback. You probably have Craven LeBlanc as your number three corner. Uh, Sidney Jones as your number four. Jalen Mills is going to be your safety. Uh, Will Parks works his way in there at, in, in in different ways as well. So you're going to have, you know, it could be, like I've heard said, uh, an amoeba-like uh, defensive backfield where you know it's where Slay is going to be. And then after that, you're kind of mixing and matching and moving different guys around. And, you know, they've re-signed Rodney McLeod as well back there. So you've got different options. You've got different things you can do. Um as we as we've seen these last couple of years uh, how Jim Schwartz uses his defensive backfield is always a little bit of a uh, a controversial topic and never quite sure exactly what he's doing back there but um he did get one stud in the Darius slay trade and sometimes that can make all the difference in the world uh, of course losing Malcolm Jenkins is a huge blow you lose your quarterback back there. Uh, Roseman said one of the main reasons they went and uh, re-signed uh, Rodney McLeod is because he provides that leadership in the defensive backfield that uh, they're going to lose with Malcolm Jenkins. And you would also hope that uh, Jalen Mills can provide that leadership back there as well. You hope that Jalen Mills can play safety. I mean, that's that's the bottom line here. You hope he's a good safety. And I'm not sure Jalen Mills is going to be a good safety. I mean, it's it's up in the air. It's, there's a lot of things the Eagles are hoping go right uh, hope is a tactic, is uh, seems to be the theme of the offseason here for the Eagles. So the bottom line here after the Roseman call is it really feels to me like Roseman's overvaluing his own players again, something he said he knew is a weakness of his. Um, I also think he misread the wide receiver market at the beginning of the offseason uh, and thought they would all cost too much money, instead decided to spend that money on Slay and Jason Hargrave early in the offseason. And now here we are with the Eagles having invested a lot in their defense and still in need desperate need of that speed wide receiver, which they're going to have to make sure that they get in the first round of the draft. Could you get, you know, try and get a KJ Hamler in the second round as your speed guy. You could, I would feel better about them going out and trying to move up and get one of the studs in the first round that you think can be a star for you. And I don't know what it's going to take to move up and get them again, where you have to see how the draft board falls on draft day, which is expected to continue on at its normal date. Uh, no, no word yet on uh, on whether the uh, the NFL is going to push back the start of the draft. Uh, but at the moment, it is still scheduled uh, for its normal date. So uh all you know full steam ahead for the nfl and the nfl draft coming up here uh next month so that'll do it for this edition of eye on the enemy uh we'll again be back next week hopefully to take a deeper dive into what the new york giants are doing and uh give you the latest eagles news as well uh make sure again to leave a rating and a review on the bleeding green nation podcast feed on apple podcast let us know what you think of the podcast and uh Uh, Don't forget to check out all of the other great shows we have on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'll talk to you all next time right here on Eye on the Enemy. P.G.N.